And I'm really excited to uh, begin a brand new sermon series that we are calling All My Questions. And what we are looking at over the course of the series is we're going to be studying a passage, a message that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this message that Jesus preaches, he really transforms the way that his listeners view God, the way that they view themselves, the way that they view their world. And my prayer for me, my prayer for you, is that Jesus will do the same as we study this message. Uh, I was, over the past couple of weeks, getting ready for this series, I came across this, these two artists from England. And over the course of the next several weeks, I want to show you some of their art as an illustration of kind of what Jesus is doing uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. So if we could go ahead, uh, try and pull up that first picture. This is so important that you get this right picture, right? This first picture. There we go. You did it. Great job. So these two, I think it's, uh, I know one of them is Sue Webster. I can't remember what the first guy's name is, but this is their art. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> some of you are some of you are honest. All right, let, let's just look at it. Like you can really you can go to Boston and you can see their work of art right here, right now. So let's take a look at it for a second. So we've got different cans and bottles. There's uh, Pepsi cans. There's Coca-Cola cans. There's all different kinds of things on this table. And then I also want you to notice for a second this in this art that all of these cans and bottles are shot through with BBs. If you look really close, you see that they're all shot through. And this art, man, it just it just inspires me. Not really. So, but if we could go ahead and when you walk in, when you walk in Boston and you see this work of art, you walk through and that's what you're looking at. And then all of a sudden there's a spotlight in the corner that will shine on this table. And whenever the spotlight shines on this table, here is what you see. If we could go ahead and go to the next picture, if you look behind the table, what you see is you see the skyline of Manhattan. Uh, so the title of this piece is Sunset Over Manhattan. And what's happened is when you first look at this table and this trash, you think, man, this is weird art. And then when the, sun, when the light shines on it, it gives you a little bit of a different perspective. And I really think that uh, whenever we look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to see Jesus say some things that definitely for his original audience, and I think even for us today, there are things that just seem a little odd. In fact, even if you're not, even, even if you don't have a church background, even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, like a lot of things that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 has made its way into like our everyday language. Uh, for example, if you've ever heard the saying, turn the other cheek, that comes from this passage. If you've ever heard the saying, go the extra mile, it comes from this message. Uh, if you've heard, and so it is, I probably like to use, judge not. Don't, what are you doing judging me? It comes from this, it comes from this sermon. Uh, you are the light of the world. There's a lot of things that Jesus says that at first glance, I know that I don't want to turn the other cheek most of the time. If someone slaps me, uh, then something is going to be turning. It's going to be my, never mind. Uh, that's the way that, like, when you just look at it, there are some odd sayings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But what Jesus is doing 
is he's completely transforming the way that they view life. So over the course of the next six weeks, I would like for us to wrestle with six questions uh, from this sermon that I think will help us and it will give us, I believe, a lot of peace. It will change the way that we work. It will change the way that we live. It'll change the way that we treat our families. It'll be, it'll change the way that we live for God Monday through Saturday, and I think it'll help help us. So let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 5. And actually, before we do that, I want to do one more thing. And this is, I've never done this before, and depending on how y'all handle this, I may never do this again. But before we read the text, would you indulge me, if you would, if you're comfortable, take out your cell phone. Most of you already have it. Uh, and I have a question for you that I want to ask that I want us to wrestle with today. I'm going to ask you the question, and then if you're comfortable texting me your answer, what you think, then go ahead and shoot me a text. <gasps> my phone is back there. I need my phone. Uh, actually, I have my iPad up here. Uh, so here's my question. Let's go ahead and throw that up there. So my throw my phone number up there. But here's the first question for today that we're going to wrestle with for a little while. And the question is this. What is success? What, what is success really? Think about it for a second. My phone number is 281, if you don't have it, 628-6627. If we could go ahead and throw that, throw that up there, it should be there. So your, my question for you is, what is success? And I'll give you a second. This may be a good time to remind all of us too, since all these texts, all these texts are going out. Let's go ahead and silence our cell phones as we get started with the message today. All right, I see you texting, but I'm not getting anything. <laughs> texting somebody else. Yeah, you can't call me. You can't. You can't call me. My notifications are silenced. My notifications are silenced? Is anything coming through? You see it. All right, we're right here. Okay. Pardon me. We've never done this. Last week I gave you donuts. Now I'm walking through getting my cell phone. There we go. Yes, and I promise I will, if you're nervous, I won't say your name. Don't worry. I just want an excuse to be on my phone, too. Okay. So, first answer that we got. Success is being happy and at peace. Success is being happy and at peace. How many of you are like, hey, I agree with that. I, I resonate with that. Success is being happy and at peace. It's just nice uh, for life to be a little bit not so, not so complicated, not so miserable. Okay, so we got... Um, the good or what is success? The good or bad outcome of an undertaking. So if you try to do something and you do well at it, I, I think that's what this means. Uh, so you try something, you do you do well at it. Uh, that is success. Somebody else texted, having the freedom to live your passion. Having the freedom to live your passion. I think that's a I think that's a really interesting. I think that's a good definition. Uh, success. 
I love this. I love this. Success depends on how you view it. <laughs> That's what we're going to wrestle with today. Uh, but to be success means you are happy with where you are at and knowing you achieved what you dreamed. Uh, success is living life through Jesus, following his path. He has the best plan for me. Uh, whoever texted that, you can just come on up here and preach my message for me today. Uh, good job. Success is doing what makes you happy. Uh, success is hearing well done, good and faithful servant from God. That one's a beautiful one. Uh, success is accomplishing the goal, Maine. Uh, you gotta say it like Maine. Maine. <laughs> well, now we know who texted it. All right, success is family and peace. These are these are good, uh, great. These are good, great, solid answers. Let's go ahead and look at what Jesus said, and let's consider this together. Matthew 5. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, or happy, full of joy, how fortunate are the poor and spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Let's take a moment and pray together and just ask God to bless our time together to open our eyes to his, to his word and uh, we'll dive right into this passage. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and thank you again for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Lord, we do acknowledge before you that as we look at uh, these verses and we're, we're, we're look at it and even some of these verses like blessed are you when you're persecuted are things that definitely don't line up with uh, most of our everyday definitions of success, of what happiness is. So Lord, we, we need you. We need Holy Spirit for you to meet with us. I ask that you would help me uh, to clearly communicate the truth of your word. I ask and pray that you would be with every listener uh, this morning. I pray and ask that you would help us to see, uh, to see what you have for us. May as we walk out of here today, may we walk out loving you more because of your goodness and because of your grace in our lives. May it change the way that we look at you, ourselves, and our world. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. In 2004, there was a man by the name of Matthew Emmons, and Matthew Emmons was the greatest rifle shooter in Olympic history. At the 2004 Olympic Games, Matthew Emmons had demonstrated his, his, uh, his greatness over the rest of the competition. Uh, he had shot several rounds, and he had done so much better than everyone else that whenever it came time for his final shot, uh, he, was, he, pulled, he got up, and all he needed to do to win the gold medal was to hit the target. That's how much better he did than everyone else. He gets up to the target. Uh, he didn't need to hit the bullseye, just, just the target. He gets into his place. He pulls up his rifle. He looks down the scope, and, and he got ready to shoot. Now, what I found really interesting is that Olympic rifle shooters, they are so good at what they do that they actually shoot their shot between heartbeats. That's how accurate, that's how accurate they are. So Matthew Emmons, he calms his breath, he feels his heartbeat, he looks down the scope, he fires his shot, perfect bullseye. A few moments later, it was time for the ceremony for the medals to be presented. And on that day, Matthew Emmons did not receive the bronze medal. He didn't receive the silver medal. And he didn't receive the gold either. Matthew Emmons did not place at the 2004 Olympics, even though he was the greatest rifle shooter in the world, because even though he hit the bullseye, he shot his shot at the wrong target. So many times in our lives, we are aiming for things that we would call success that we look to and say, if I have this, I will be happy. If I can just get the right kind of job, if I can just make a certain amount of money, if I can just uh, find this person to be with that will make me happy, if I can just have some of these things, if I can retire at a certain age, then I will be, I'll be a success. I'll, I'll have all of my dreams come true, and that'll be a wonderful thing. But as I was getting ready and I was considering these definitions, and to be honest, a lot of the answers that you sent me, uh, even just now about what success is, whenever I was wrestling through with what is success, a lot of your answers that you texted me, I, te I thought the exact same thing. But then I asked the question, well, if, if living out, if, just, if doing what makes you happy, if accomplishing your goals, if being the best at what you do is success, then, then why is it, and I know that it is a complicated thing, but why is it that actors and actresses who are the best in the world at what they do, A-listers, a lot of times when they talk about their life, they talk like they're miserable. Why is it that in 2005, Tom Brady sat down with 60 Minutes after winning three Super Bowls by the age of 27, uh, was the greatest at what he did, and he sat down and he said, I have done everything that I could have hoped to accomplish, and I still, I gotta wonder, is this it? Is there nothing more to life than this? He was the best. He had accomplished everything he set out to accomplish, and, and the fact is, is that a lot of times people are pursuing something, and when they find it, they're empty. Is that truly success if you accomplish everything that you want to accomplish, you do what you love doing, you set, you achieve all your goals, 
and you still come up empty. Jesus, as he's speaking, he's getting ready to change the worldview of his disciples. And in verse number one, as he prepares to, as he prepares to teach them and as he prepares to uh, change the way that they view the world, I want you to look with me in verse number one. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came to him. So Jesus, before he starts his, before he starts his message, we see in verse number one, the setting for this message. Whenever there's a message, if I'm preaching a sermon, if I'm giving a talk, there's, there's different components. There's the speaker, that's me, and there's the audience, that's you. And Matthew, as he's writing, he tells us who the speaker is, and he tells us who the audience is, and he tells us where this talk, where this message is taking place. And I want you to notice, it says, and he was seeing the multitudes. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But then he goes up into a mountain with them. I love the way that Augustine said it. Augustine said that he was taking them up into a mountain to, to change, to elevate, to take them to a higher level of thinking. That's why he's taking them up into this mountain. And he sits down. And whenever he sits down, just so you know, like whenever I preach, I preach standing up. Uh, I preached one time, actually two times. One time I, I tore my Achilles. I ruptured my Achilles on like a Saturday. And then on Sunday, I was supposed to preach somewhere and they let me sit down. I sat on a table and that was just the hardest thing I've ever done. Because in case you can't tell already, I like to move around a little bit. And then a few weeks ago, uh, I wasn't feeling particularly well. So I sat back here so I wouldn't share my germs, but I sat down. Some of you were in here and I sat down and like that was miserable. I decided I was never going to sit down and preach again because I've just got to move around. Uh, but Jesus and at the time of Jesus, whenever a preacher, whenever a teacher or a rabbi would teach something uh, informal, like if they were just walking around with their disciples and they were going to teach them something, they just through life, they're walking together. He's going to teach them different things and it's going to, it's going to go fine. It's going to go okay. Like it, it's not, it's not super formal when they're walking, but whenever a teacher, a rabbi sits down to teach, he's about to say something that is vitally important. Whenever a rabbi sits down, he's saying something that is extremely serious to him. So Jesus sits down and he's about to tell them something important. He's about to tell them something important. And we can go ahead and just find a seat over here, guys. Thank you so much for coming and being here today. If y'all want to grab a seat over here, thank you. Um, so, but Jesus sits down to teach this group. And in verse number one, we see that it's the multitude. So we got to ask the question, if we're going to understand what is Jesus saying, who is he talking to, we've got to understand who these multitudes are. And we could do some guessing, but really we don't have to guess because if we look just a couple of verses back to Matthew 4 and verses 23 through 25, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those who were possessed with devils and those who were lunatics and those that had the palsy and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Uh, so all these people have come to follow Jesus. And I want you to notice who they are. Uh, these are people who are from Galilee. Now, who are the Galileans? The Galileans are the people who live in northern Israel. These are the people that are kind of uh, backwoods. These are, hey man, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Uh, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much. 
Um, so these are the people who lived in the backwoods. They weren't, uh, they weren't very intellectual. They weren't considered very intellectual. They were just people who just kind of lived out in the villages. They kind of lived out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, those were the Galileans. The other people that were coming, the other group of the multitudes that were coming to hear Jesus were the people who were called Syrians. And the Syrians were not Jewish people, which means that they are out of their element. Uh, they are out of, uh, they are from out of country. They are people who were probably disliked by the Jewish people. So these are the Syrians who have come to hear Jesus preach and teach. Uh, the next thing that we see about these people who are coming to hear Jesus are, these are people who are sick. These are sick people. These are people who have come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have this disease. I need you to heal me. These are people who have come to Jesus and they couldn't walk and Jesus is making them walk. These are people who have come to Jesus who could not see and Jesus is giving them sight. These are people who are possessed with devils and Jesus is giving them freedom. These are the people who are coming to Jesus. Now, there's something that I want you to know about that is in the, in the theological structure of their day, they believed in something that we could call, that we actually have today in different religious groups, called a prosperity gospel. Meaning, here's what they believed at this time, is that if you were spiritually well, meaning if you had a lot of faith, uh, if you were good with God, uh, then that means that as a sign of that, then God was just going to give you everything that you wanted. Meaning, if you were wealthy, that meant not just that you were materially wealthy, not just that there was a lot of money in your bank account, but that also meant that you were spiritually rich with God. And conversely, if you were poor, if you were struggling, if you were living paycheck to paycheck, it must mean, it must mean because either you don't have enough faith or there's sin in your life or something like that. Like that's what the, feel, that's what the people believe. A lot of people believe in that day. If you had a disease, then that surely meant that you must be like this extra big sinner. Uh, so, for example, you may remember uh, this passage where, where there was a man who was born blind and Jesus' disciples come to him and, Jesus, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man? Is he born a blind man because of his sin? Or was he born blind because his parents did something really terrible? And Jesus said, no, that like is neither. Like that's not, that's not the way that it works. He was, uh, so, so, but that was the structure of the day. So you have all of these sick, diseased, crippled, blind, Gentile, backwoods people who have come to hear Jesus. And whenever you put that with the backdrop of what society was supposed to look like in Judaism in that day, uh, these people don't fit in. There were four groups of people, and we, we need to understand this to really get uh, where Jesus is going with all of this and to appreciate some of the, some of the things that he says. But there were four really political parties, uh, political religious parties in Jesus' day. There was four groups. So one group was a group of people called the Zealots. Uh, the zealots were the revolutionaries. These were the people who wanted to go to war with Rome. These were the people who just, they wanted to kill everybody that wasn't Jewish. Like that was the zealots of the day. Interesting group, like great people to hang around. Uh, so those were the zealots. Another group of people that, uh, another group of people that, that lived in that day, a political party in that day, if you will, was a group called the Pharisees. Now, a lot of us, we know the Pharisees, we read about them, but these were the people who said, hey, you know what? Our job, our mission is to make all of Israel pure, and how we're going to do that is by giving them a ton of rules. 
Uh, the more rules that we can put on people, the more things we can make them go through, the more religious practices that we can give them and expect from them, then that will somehow make them, that will make them better spiritually. Those were the Pharisees. Then there's were the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were, they're an interesting group, and honestly, like, they're just a little bit hard to figure out, because they were religious, but they didn't believe in life after death. Um, they didn't really believe in, they didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. They didn't believe in uh, anything miraculous. They were uh, really what we would call theological liberals. So they were on the opposite end of the of, from the Pharisees. Sometimes when we read and we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees going after Jesus, we think that they're one and the same or that they're friends. But what is so interesting is that whenever it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees come together to attack Jesus, like that's something that's like, oh, wow, you have these two groups that hate each other, but yet they're partnering up to go after Jesus. Uh, the Sadducees were the theological liberals of the day. And then another group was a group called the Essenes. All right, I'm not, this is not going to be on a test. Uh, but the Essenes were an interesting group. And if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, like the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in an Essene community. And who they were is they just believed that they were so righteous and pure and that the rest of Judaism had, was so terrible that they just decided, hey, you know what? We don't want to get polluted by all of their junk. So we're going to go hide in a desert. We're going to live in a desert uh, and just pray uh, that they all go to hell and that the Messiah just comes and rescues us because we're the only ones who are doing what's right. Now, here's my question for you. Uh, the Sadducees were also extremely wealthy. So here's my question for you. Uh, do, do this backwoods, village, Gentile, poor, sick, maimed people, do they sound like any of these groups? Do they sound like zealots? Do they sound like Pharisees? Do they sound like Sadducees? Do they sound like Essenes? No, they don't fit any group. They don't fit any group. So you have all of these outsiders who have come to Jesus to hear from him. You have all these outsiders uh, who have come to Jesus to hear from him, and now he is speaking. And I want you to, uh, one, one more thing. I want you to notice uh, that, so Jesus opens up, sorry, in verse number three, he starts his message by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now that's something that we're a little bit familiar with, but if you were sitting in the audience in those days, that was something that was really powerful. That was something really special. When Jesus sits down and he says, blessed, he's opening up with the word, the Greek word, makarios. Let's just go ahead and say that together to all stay engaged together. Makarios. Let's try that one more time. Makarios. Okay, so Jesus sits down and he says, Makarios. Now to all the listeners, I just, I just imagine as I was reading this and as I was studying this out, I just imagine like this, this deep gasp. Like, wow, this is going to be good. And here's the reason why. is because Jesus is not the first person to say, blessed are the blank. He's not the first person to say, Makarios. In fact, that was a pretty common thing in the day. The philosophers and the rabbis of the day would use this word, makarios. So, for example, Homer, uh, Homer said this, makarios is being wealthy. Uh, Plato said, makarios is being successful in business. Now, the word makarios is a word that really we don't even have like a single word that describes it. But the idea is this, happy, successful full of utmost bliss and joy, a place of untouchable honor, which is something we'll get to uh, down the road, this idea of honor. Uh, it's a place of honor. Like, blessed is everything that you want to be in life. 
So uh, Homer had his opinion, you want to be wealthy. Uh, Plato had his opinion, hey, you want to be successful in business. But it was also a Jewish rabbi tradition to go around offering blessings. And they would say, blessed are you. So I want to highlight one of these for you. One person, by the, before we get into this, a person by the name of Jesus. Jesus ben Sirah, who lived 150 years before Jesus of Nazareth. And if we could go ahead and pull up, I think it's toward the bottom. This was his list of makarios. This was his list of blessings. And here's what he said. I want you to notice, because this is actually in the, uh, this is actually, I think you can read it in the Apocrypha, uh, if I remember right. But this is a Jewish rabbi who taught this, and he said, this is the blessed life. This is the life of utmost joy, of utmost success, of utmost honor, of utmost peace. This is that life. So here's what he says. Blessed is a man rejoicing or who can rejoice in his children. That kind of sounds like a proverb a little bit. Uh, blessed is a man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. This is what's taken, like, captured the heart of Israel. Blessed is he who lives with an intelligent wife. I'm not going to touch that one. I guess I'm blessed. I have an intelligent wife. Uh, blessed is he who has not made a slip with his tongue. Blessed is he who has not served a man inferior to himself. Okay, so let's pause on that one for just a second. I want to highlight that one for just a second. Blessed is man who doesn't have to serve a man inferior to himself. Because we don't really live in a, um, in a formal class society. Uh, but in this day, how much money you had or what kind of work you did definitely put you above other people. And they lived in an honor, uh, they lived in a place of where their like primary values were honor and shame, which we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But when we think of honor, I just think like, oh, hey, I have a good reputation. Like, that's nice. I have a good reputation. Diana has a good reputation. David has a good reputation. Like, we can just say, hey, we have a good reputation. But in Israel, or in the, really in the East, uh, in the Eastern world, whenever they got honor, they viewed it as a piece of pie. And I wanted as big a slice as I could have. And if I had a big slice, that meant that you had a little slice. It was kind of like this constant game of King of the Hill. Like, did anyone play King of the Hill growing up? Where uh, I went to this farm one time, and there was this big hill, and me and my friends, me and my classmates, we started playing. We're like, you're trying to get to the top of the hill, and everyone else is fighting uh, to, to be the top person on the hill. So you're pushing everybody, you're shoving everybody, because you want to be at the top. Well, that's the way it was for them. Is, hey, you want to be in a place of honor. You want to be in a place where you're ever expanding, and you're taking honor from everybody else. It's hard for me to fathom because it's like you can't see honor, you can't touch honor, you can't taste honor. But for them, it was a limited resource that everyone was fighting for. So when Jesus ben Sirah says, blessed is a man who doesn't have to serve a man inferior to himself, he's saying, blessed is a man who doesn't lose some honor by having to serve someone who's lesser than him. Blessed is he who has gained good sense. Blessed is he who speaks to attentive listeners. Uh, the man who speaks and everyone wants to listen to him. I struggle with that one sometimes whenever I'm preaching and I see people falling asleep. Uh, I want attentive listeners. How great is he who has gained wisdom, but there is no one superior to him who fears the Lord. So this is Rabbi Jesus ben Sirah. This is his list of makarios. Uh, it's the same number of makarios blessings that Jesus gives in Matthew 5, but this is really, this is what is of highest value. This is what, if you are a success, this is what everyone wants to be. If you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed by the Lord, if you, hey, this is what that life looks like. Now let's look at Jesus' list. Remember, my spirituality is determined by, my, by how much money I have, by how successful materially I am. 
Uh, success is if I don't have to serve a person inferior to myself. Success is if I win, uh, if I win that kind of game of king of the hill with everyone else. If I shame other people and I get more honor for me and my tribe. Uh, so Jesus speaks and Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now what Jesus is not doing here is Jesus is not saying like, uh, Jesus is not saying like, hey, you're, uh, the poorer you are, then the better you are. It's not like a reverse, it's not a reverse, uh, it's not a reverse type of prosperity theology. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones, hey, happy are the ones. You are in a place of, hey, you are in the perfect spot. If you understand that spiritually speaking, you are in poverty and you need help. Now, how many of us like to admit that? And that speaks right in the face of the Pharisees because the Pharisees are the people who say like, hey, we know it all. We memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I was talking with someone yesterday and they said, hey, I have a hard time. Like, I hate reading those books. They had those books memorized. Uh, they weren't people who said, hey, we're poor in spirit. The Essenes are out in the desert and they're praying like, God, we're the only pure ones. So show off our purity by uh, just wiping everyone off the face of the earth so we can just enjoy everything ourselves. That doesn't sound very poor in spirit. That doesn't sound very humble. You have, you have, the, um, you have the Sadducees who are just full of wealth and they say, hey, I'm in a good place because I have money. Uh, you have the Zealots who are saying, hey, you know what? We are right and we're going to kill everybody who stands in our way. It's not exactly very poor in spirit. Yet Jesus says you are in a place of makarios. You are in a place of blessing. You are in a place where you are able uh, to be blessed by God if you understand that you have a need for him. Uh, if you don't have a need for God, then you cannot be in a place to be blessed by God. He's saying blessed are the poor in spirit. But then he continues on by saying blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, that's an interesting thing. Happy are the sad. Happy are the sad? Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Jesus' brother James said something kind of similar in James 4. He said, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. He's saying, hey, recognize that, that our sin is serious. So first Jesus is saying, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that they have a need for God. That's his audience. Blessed are those who are mourning over their sin, who recognize that sin isn't just something to be swept under the rug, that sin isn't just something that, hey, like it's not a big deal. Like Blessed are those, blessed are you, whenever you realize that, God, I need to be rescued by you, and, and, and my sin is serious, and I need, I need you. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This idea of meekness, uh, some people confuse it for weakness, uh, but meekness is the idea of, uh, I guess if we could say it this way, to win the king of the hill challenge and to say, you know what, uh, I'm just, I'm not going to, you know, I could just beat everybody up, knock everybody out and take the top of the hill, uh, but not do that. It's strength, I guess you could say strength under control is a way that some people word it. It's the, I'm not going to just exercise, I'm not going to try to take a bigger slice of the pie just because I can 
That's the idea of blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think it's really interesting here, this idea of hungering. Like these people would know what it was to be hungry. Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. But I love how Jesus uses this word picture because they know what it is to be hungry for food. They know what it is to be thirsty for water. But Jesus said, blessed are you whenever you're in a place of blessing, whenever you're hungry for what is right. Uh, You're in a place of blessing whenever you desire to see rightness done in the world. They shall be filled. He continues on and he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now, in this honor-shame culture that we'll really get into in week three, but the worst thing that you could do like for, for to like expand your honor, to expand your honor in their culture was, hey, if someone wrongs you, you make them pay. You get your revenge. You go after them. You show them who's, who's boss. You make sure that they don't cross you again. Jesus says, blessed are you. You're in a place of honor whenever you are merciful. He continues on. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is so interesting, verse number eight, because the Pharisees, they were so consumed with an external righteousness and external religiousness, meaning the, uh, whenever I put on the right clothes, whenever I do the right things, whenever I uh, fill off the checklist, and that's what makes me right, where Jesus is saying, hey, it's not about what's on the outside. It's the pure being pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemaking was not something that was uh, a high value in their culture either. Remember, uh, back to Jesus Ben Sirah's list of Beatitudes, where he says, blessed is the one who conquers all of his foes, who sees the downfall of his foes. Yet Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And here's what we need to get. Here's what you need to understand. When Jesus gives, and then we get into, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Uh, This one is just, like, that one's just hard. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you whenever you're, when you're cussed out for Jesus. Blessed are you whenever you're spoken for poorly about. Blessed are you whenever people lie about you. Like that's a place of happiness. That's a place of honor. That's a place of joy. Do you see how Jesus is flipping everything upside down? Here is what we need to take from the Beatitudes. Because a lot of times people look at this and say, all right, it's time to pull out my checklist. It's time. I'm going to go be a peacemaker today. And go out and just, I'm going to go try to do this. I'm going to go try. I've got to just be extra merciful today. Like, I've got to, I've got to bump up a few points in that. No, here's, here's what's going on. Jesus is speaking to an audience that when they hear this, they identify with it. And it goes, it, it counters the culture of the way that their world lived. Here's the way that their world viewed makarios. Here's the way that the way that their world viewed success Hey, you, you, you do everything for yourself. You do whatever you have to do to, to get to climb the ladder. You do whatever you have to do to make yourself look better. Whoever you have to step on, whoever you have to climb over, whoever you have to make look bad to make yourself look better, to climb, to get more money, whatever you have to do, that is what you are supposed to do. And it even shows that God loves you a little bit more in their line of thinking. If, you, if you, all of your enemies, all the people that you don't like, if they get, if they get embarrassed, if they do 
die, if they get hurt, if they get sick. Like that, that was the way that they were thinking. And Jesus said, hey, no, it's the exact opposite of that. The place of blessing is by not being consumed with yourself. The place of blessing is instead of viewing everything around me as getting my identity and getting my worth and getting my view of success from everyone who's on par with me, instead of getting my identity identity horizontally, I'm supposed to get my identity vertically. Instead of being so consumed with what does everyone else think, it's, it's having more of a mindset of what does God think. Uh, instead of having a mindset of, hey, what can I do for myself? It's an attitude of, hey, of humble service to other people. Where success comes into play is whenever we have this attitude where we view the world through the lens of the gospel. Where what I do, where I live, how I talk to people, how I treat people, it's viewed through the lens of, hey, this is what God has done for me. And I'm going to live that out with other people. That's what Jesus is saying that's what Jesus is doing. I also love the way that Augustine talked about this because when we look at these things, these are things that I'm just like, I that's hard. Isn't it hard? Like, this is impossible. This is impossible to do. This is impossible to just like live these things out. I love the way Augustine said it. He said that these things are things that God produces in you, these aren't things that you can produce yourself. It kind of goes hand in hand with the fruit of the spirit, meaning that we should not look at the Beatitudes. This is, I guess, my take people would disagree with me, is that the goal of this is not to look at the list of the Beatitudes and say, all right, it's time to get the checklist out and to try to like work really hard, you know, like really tighten up your bootstraps and just try to go do all this. It's kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Like those are things that God produces in me as I'm walking with Him. As I walk with Jesus, he produces all this good fruit in me. He brings me into a place of makarios as I walk with him. So then he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. And I'm, I'm going to move this along. I'm going to move this along. So just stay with me for the end, okay? He's saying, and all of this is what is salt and light to the world. I grew up thinking, you know what? The more religious I can look, that is light. Hey, whenever I go to church and whenever I go to work and I just start like preaching at everybody, like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Like that is being light. Where Jesus says, uh, I always, I, I never understood how the Beatitudes tied in with this. But whenever I'm living this kind of life where the spirit is flowing through me and I'm living a life of humility, a hunger for righteousness, a life of meekness, a life of peace, uh, being a peacemaker. Whenever I'm living this life that God is producing in me, hey, you know what? You shine that out and the world will want it. When we look at it, we say, is that really true? Is that really true? Like, is, does that work? Can I influence, can I make an impact in people's lives by living this kind of life? Jesus did it. Jesus was poor in spirit. But this might be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He was poor in spirit. Uh, blessed Let's go to the next one. Blessed are they that mourn. Jesus was so moved by uh, the brokenness of humanity. It says that he was moved like, like a sheep, looking at, looking at them like a sheep without looking like sheep without a shepherd. It moved him. It moved him to the cross. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst 
Blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus, with this desire for rightness to be made in the world, that he went to the cross to make us righteous. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. What greater act of mercy than he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I love it when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible said that the, that the temple veil that separated man from God was torn in two, thereby making peace between us and God. Jesus lived this out. He was persecuted for you and for me. Was Jesus successful? Consider this with me for just a second, okay? Like, let's, I know that like we, especially those of us in here who are believers, like we're like, yeah, of course Jesus was successful. Well, like, let's just like, Put that up, like, let's look at it through secular eyes for just a second, okay? Jesus grew up in Nazareth, like, this no-name town. Like, all the people in Israel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He started his ministry at the age of 30, and that lasted for three years. He called as his apprentices 12 uneducated, not really that religious people, and he just let them walk around and follow him for three years. He didn't call, like the, like, the smartest people. He didn't call, like, the wealthiest people. He didn't call, like, the high-level influencers in Israel. No, he called a bunch of people that nobody else would have wanted. He walked around for three years living this kind of life through the power of the Spirit. And then his work, un unexpectedly uh, to us, abruptly ends where he does. And that man, that person, who had a three-year ministry with a group of 12 close followers, started a movement that has changed the world for the last 2,000 years. Did you know that hospitals are an invention of the Jesus movement, people who follow Jesus? Like, that's where hospitals got started. Did you know that, like, women's rights, women being treated as not property, but being treated as people, did you know that that started through the Jesus movement? I would say that those are successful, beautiful, wonderful things. Uh, Jesus was a success. But does this kind of living, living in dependence, not an independent for myself kind of life, but living in humble service to others, does that actually work today? Absolutely. In his book, uh, Good to Great, uh, author Jim Collins, he wrote a book on what is the difference between good companies and great companies. It was five characteristics of, of great companies. And it was so interesting because he wrote his first four, and the story goes that whenever it came to his fifth one, whenever his research team came back and said, here's the fifth characteristic, he said, I'm not putting that in my book. I'm not putting, I'm not putting this character trait in my book. Like, there's no way that this makes companies successful. And they said, it is absolutely true. So he put it in his, in his book. You know what the fifth one was? <coughs> Humility. Humility was the mark, was the, was the key difference between great and good companies. I could tell you stories stories of different people who have lived this kind of life, who have gone into the workplace, and who have succeeded wonderfully and beautifully because they didn't live for themselves, trying to climb the ladder themselves, being focused on themselves. They just humbly 
loved and served others. They were people who were merciful. They were people who were meek. They were people who just depended on the Lord Jesus, and that brought them into a place of success. James 4, humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That is the way of Jesus. It's not about, it's not about me. The, the idea of this is that really it's not because of me. And we can spend a long, a long time, but I'm determined to get through the Beatitudes in one message. But all of this is paradoxical. <coughs> There's no way, like, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be full. Blessed are for the sad, they shall be happy. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Like, this is, this is like the opposite of what you think would happen. The point is, is it's not about you and it's not about me. And whenever we define success through the lens of self, we will always come up empty. But whenever we live our lives looking at, Lord, I am dependent on you, which is like the opposite of the way that our Western world thinks about success. We think about success as independence. Jesus defines success as dependence. Dependence on the Lord. Dependence on God. God, I can't get through this without you. God, I need you. The humility to acknowledge that I need help. And that humility is something that God blesses. It's something that God blesses. And it works in our everyday life. And it just, it's been proven time and time again that people who are humble and selfless end up being happier. People who live for something bigger than just themselves, they end up with more joy. What is success? If I can say it this way for those of us in the room who know Jesus, success is whenever our actions flow from our identity. When what we do flows out of who we are in Christ. A life that makes a difference, a life that is successful, I believe a life that finds satisfaction, is a life that just says, you know what? It's not about me, it's about him. And I'll serve others out of the overflow of that. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us and your grace in our lives. And Lord, as we look at as we looked at the Beatitudes today, I thank you that a life of success isn't just for the elite. That it's not just for the wealthy. It's not just for those who are the smartest in the room. It's not for the most cutthroat. But that a life of meaning and a life of really more than success, a life of significance comes from living in dependence on you. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us to live that every day. It's so easy to just get consumed. I know for me, it's so easy to get consumed with uh, what am I producing? What am I, uh, what am I accomplishing? What am I uh, doing to help myself? Um, but that's not the picture that you paint of a blessed, satisfied, happy, fulfilled life. So Lord, I ask that you help us every day to go into our work and to give our best because you gave your best for us. To go with humility because without you we can do nothing. To go with love for our co-workers uh, because they are people who are made in the image of God and that are also loved by you. And Father, I ask and I pray that you would help us to live this out every day.
in Jesus' name. Would you uh, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment? We want to take a moment to just respond to how God has worked in our lives.